Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. Lord, we're asking today that your word would come in, that your word would penetrate deep and guard our heart from all the schemes of the enemy. We pray, chase away all of the lies and deception he's tried to plant in our, inside of our heart. We pray that your word would find good soil right here. And not only would it find good soil, we pray your water would water the good seed that's been planted. And so Jesus, right now we're asking, would you transform us through the power of the gospel, through the truth of your word, sanctify us with your truth. Your truth is your word. Father, thank you that this is a good place it's going to land today. And the enemy cannot stop what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. It is Father's Day. I want to talk about intercessors, and I actually entitled it, The Heart of Men. And it's actually the heart of everybody, but it's Father's Day. I felt like I had to put men in there, okay? So it's the heart of everybody, but the heart of men on this Father's Day is our call to intercession. And I want to continue to run in this thing that we started a couple weeks ago. But it is Father's Day. I want to share something with you. Proverbs 20, 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. Ah, young men, where are you at? Oh, that was weak. Now listen to this. But the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Where's my gray hairs at? Yeah. You might have it crumbing in your beard. It doesn't matter. You got gray, you're in the gray hair club. Amen. So I just want you to know, man, on this Sunday, whether you're the youngest man in the room or the oldest man in the room, God has a place for you men. Amen. God has a place for you men. Um, One thing I want to throw out, if you missed last week, Bob Sorge brought a tremendous word. If you missed that, go listen to it. Check out the podcast or you can watch it on the the stream on our Facebook or YouTube channel. I just really felt like he had a word for the season that many of us have been in, the season maybe you find yourself in, which is trials. And the Lord says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so if you've been going through trials and you you can't put your mind around it and the why, go listen to that message. God is doing something in you in this trial, okay? So check, check that out. Um, I want to call on men today. On this Father's Day, I want to call on everybody. Ladies, you're included in all this. But I want to call on men. I want to rouse the hearts of men into this priestly calling that you have on your life. Into this priestly calling of sacrifice and, and intercession. I want to call on the hearts of men. Because I believe in this season of intercession that God is calling us to. There is something that God is stirring in each one of our hearts. And the two scripture verses that we've been bouncing off of. The first one that we've been using here is Isaiah 59. And what you see in Isaiah 59, if it's up there, there we go. Isaiah 59 from the Amplified Version is, what you see is that there has been tremendous persecution and turmoil. Injustice is running rampant in this time. And the Lord says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. No one to intervene on behalf of the truth and right. Therefore, his own arm brought him victory and his own righteousness sustained him. So the Lord was looking around for a person that would be the intercessor and it says he found none. So Jesus would come and become the great intercessor. You remember that? Okay? And then the second verse that we were looking at was Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, And he says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me, or stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found what? None. None. There's a problem that we're seeing in scripture 
which is that God always raises up men and women when he's looking to do his will on planet earth. And there are times where he's like, I found my Esthers and I found my Daniels and I found my Davids and I found my Samsons and I found my Ruths. But there are times where he's looking around going, I'm looking for one and I'm not finding any. And I just believe that right now God is doing a work in the hearts of men where he is ready to rouse the hearts of men to stand in the gap as a royal priesthood of intercessors again. Amen. Amen. We're seeing some things happen in our nation, and not just our nation, worldwide, but we're seeing them really happen in our nation where men have taken a back seat and God is calling them back forward again. Mark Winter spoke at our men's breakfast a couple of, a month ago, two months ago, and as he's speaking at that, he was, he was speaking about the hearts of fathers. And I mean, he brought guys to tears. Everybody's like, stop it, Mark, right? He brought this word about fathers and just really hit our heart. I want to share some statistics that he gave at that men's breakfast. And I want to bring some light to the pandemic that we're in with a fatherless generation right now. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Listen to this. 15% of the time when a mother comes to faith, the rest of the family will come. 35% of the time when a child comes to faith, the rest of the family will come. 90% of the time when the father comes to faith, the rest of the family will come. We are in a pandemic right now, amen? Like we can clap and be like, wow, that's incredible. This is actually an indictment against us. And listen, if you're a single mom out there, this isn't an accusation against you. This is thank you for stewarding this thing well. Thank you for running the race that you're running. Thank you for knowing that your heavenly father fits a role in your family while you're trying to hit it as hard as you can as a single mom. Thank you that God has favor on you, that you're trying to play some dual roles here. You're you're amazing single moms out there. We love you. But this is trying to show something about men's hearts in a culture that's fatherless and in a culture where men have taken a back seat, where the enemy is running rampant and it's time to stop it. Amen, men. There's a reason there's spiritual warfare and an all-out attack against men to take that back seat because we see in Scripture that there is spiritual leadership in the order of God. There's spiritually, and I'm not just talking about if you have kids or you don't have kids, there's a spiritual leadership in men's hearts that we have not advanced in in our coming into Christ, but rather we've taken that back seat. And so I'm telling you, I believe that this generation has lacked those spiritual fathers that God has called us to be. And so I believe there's a shift coming. There's a shift coming where men are going to start praying with and for their families, where men are going to start praying with and for their coworkers, where men are going to start praying with and for their neighbors. There's a shift coming. There is a shift coming. And the best way that I can think about, you guys know I love Braveheart. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, we say it all the time, right? But there's this part of Braveheart where William Wallace is talking to the Bruce, Robert the Bruce, who's supposed to be leading, but he's not. He's a terrible leader in that moment. And he looks at him in the eyes, and he gets his accent, right? And he says, unite us, unite the clans, right? And then they do this thing. Here, come here. They do this thing with their hands, and they go, like, and it's just like, I don't know what just happened, but did did you hear that? Oh, man, bummer. I'll take that. Thank you, brother. Otherwise, I I won't. Oh, it it broke. I got to keep this or I will not keep time. You guys know me, all right? Come on. Okay. 
But he says, unite us, unite the clans, and they come together, and there's just this moment of going, it's time for men to be united again. And it's time for men to be united under this umbrella of being a royal priesthood for the king of kings. Let me show you what I'm talking about with this. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, what we see in this time is in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned, they've, they've turned, they're back on the Lord, right? They, they ate the fruit um, that they were not supposed to eat of the knowledge of, uh, of the tree of uh, good and evil. So their eyes were open, and here's what it says. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now we've done work on this. Never before have they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. There was never a time where they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They walked with the Lord. They were with the Lord. His presence was with them all the time. And yet now something happened where they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. It says, among the trees of the garden. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? The Lord called to the man and said, where are you? Now, here's the deal. Adam wasn't really good at hide and seek. Everybody knows that, right? No. The context of this is not that he was hiding in the place that the Lord could not see him. The Lord could see him. The Lord sees all things. He knew exactly where Adam was. Why did he say, where are you? I believe it's because the heart cry of the Lord wasn't that he saw him hiding somewhere where he couldn't find him. He was asking, man of God, where are you? Man of God who's hiding from me. Man of God that I put in leadership who's not leading the way I've called you to lead. Where are you? And I believe he's calling that same call on the hearts of men today. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Your leadership is needed. Where are you? You're hiding out. Where are you? And so I believe with all of my heart that as we talk about walking in the footsteps of Jesus, it's going to be birthed out of intercession. I want, to see, I want you to see this role that you play as a royal priesthood in the house of God. We're going to look at it looking at the footsteps of Jesus. Now let me start with this. First and foremost, your calling in life is that you are first supposed to minister to the Lord. So you're a priest. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. In Ezekiel 44, 15, the priest had a primary role, and he'll say it in Ezekiel 44, 15. We won't get to all of it, but he'll say, the Lord will say, minister to me, and then he'll say a couple of things. He'll say, minister to me, and then he'll say, teach people the difference between the sacred and the common. I think we've spent so much of our life not ministering to the Lord, but spending our time giving seconds and leftovers to the Lord. We've given our sloppy seconds to the Lord, and we've done it in the name of ministry. We've done it in the name of ministry. I'm involved in a thousand things. I don't have time for the Lord. Do you guys see how jacked up that is? Right? And here we are in our life with Christ going, Lord, I'm involved in a thousand things, and I'm doing it in the name of ministry, but missing out. I'm missing out. My first and foremost priority is I'm supposed to minister to him. And there's a reality that the Lord says in that Revelations 3 context, you can do a lot of things that are right, all these things you've done well, but you've forsaken your first love. And so there's a call to go back and get in the right order, which is to minister to the Lord first. Why? Because we are priests. Let me show you this lineage of priesthood. In the Old Testament, the priests had two primary roles. The two primary roles that the priests had was sacrifice and intercession. 
they would first go into the Holy of Holies and they would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. In the Holy of Holies, they would take a sacrifice, lay the blood on the mercy seat, and in that moment, it was supposed to atone for the sins of the people. And then they would make intercession. They would pray on behalf of the land and they would pray on the behalf of the people. They would stand in the gap as both those who laid the sacrifice down and as both those who interceded on behalf of the nation and the people. Now Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to be called the great high priest, right? He's the great high priest. And he comes along, and then he goes into the Holy of Holies with his sacrifice, right? He dies, crucified, ascends to heaven, lays his blood on the mercy seat of God. And he says those famous words, it's atoned for once and for all. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that we by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the sacrifice has been made once and for all. But one aspect of the Lord's ministry that has not been finished is that he's going to do the second part of his priestly calling. If the first part is sacrifice, what's the second part? Resurrection. Oh, some of them. What would you say over here? Resurrection. No, not you. <laughs> Intercession. Say it. Say it. Okay, it's intercession. Intercession is our calling. Intercession is our calling. And so Jesus is going to do the sacrificial part, and now he's going to be an intercessor forever. Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Jesus, it says, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Now he's at the right hand of the Father and he's always living to make intercession for us. So if Jesus is always living to make intercession, what should we be doing? Everybody say, always living to make intercession. Always living to make intercession. <laughs> Boy, we're going to have to work on this correspondence back and forth. Always willing to make intercession. Intercession is a part of our life. The two parts of that priesthood are first sacrifice and second intercession. So now you're going, okay, so how does that involve me? That's Old Testament. That's Jesus. That mandate now has been put on you and I. This is what Scripture says. Scripture says in the New Testament that we now are a priesthood of believers. Look at 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy what? Priesthood. To be a holy priesthood. Point at yourself, say, I'm a priesthood. Oh, some of you aren't doing it. I know it's Father's Day. You don't want to work out. Let's work out together. Ready? <laughs> Point at yourself. I'm a priesthood. You're a royal priesthood, and he says, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, just in case you didn't get it, he's going to say it again in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, what I love about this is in the first one, he says, you're a holy priesthood. In the second one, he gives us the nature of identity as a royal priesthood. You and I know that we are royalty as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. There's royalty attached with our priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his and into his marvelous light or wonderful light. So we have a mandate as a royal priesthood. Now if we have a mandate as a royal priesthood and the Old Testament priests had a way in which they walked and Jesus had a way in which he walked, what are the two things that mark our life? Sacrifice and? Oh man, it's a good day. It's a good day. Sacrifice and intercession. 
Now you're saying, so what does this look like? What is the sacrifice? Romans 12.1 says to offer your lives as a? We don't have to die. <laughs> is that good news that you don't have to? Somebody, amen? Yeah. We, we don't have to go into there and cut ourselves open and die. We get to live where every day that we breathe, we get to be a living sacrifice unto him. He says to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. When we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, we let go of our will and our desires and we run in his. We get to be a living sacrifice. That's the first role of the priest. The second role of the priest, if you remember, is intercession. So now not only are we offering our lives as a living sacrifice, but now we're making intercession. We now get to stand in the gap. We're praying for his will. And his will is that we would be ministers of reconciliation let me read this to you in 2nd Corinthians 5 18 it says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation you've been given a ministry and you won't know how to do the ministry of reconciliation you won't know how to go after it until you hit your knees of intercession intercession birthed out uh, reconciliation because you're starting to pray and get a sense of what God wants to do in intercession, and then you go and live it out. Amen. Amen. It's where he shows you the broken. It's where he shows you the lost. It's where he shows you injustice. And as you begin to intercede, reconciliation will follow suit. And this is for all of us. I'm calling out men, but this is for all of us to stand up and be a royal priesthood starting today on this Father's Day. One of the best examples that you'll see of a priestly intercession in Scripture, and I love this example, is actually in the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, so Old Testament, you're going to see one of the greatest places of intercession. In Numbers chapter 16, starting with verse, verse 16 going through 48, what you're going to see is this. The, the people of God have been grumbling against the Lord. So you got Moses and Aaron, they're in the wilderness, and they're grumbling against the Lord. Anybody grumble? Anybody ever grumble in your life? Careful, Right? They're grumbling against the Lord, and as they grumble against the Lord and they complain against the Lord, the Lord's anger starts to burn because they're like, Lord, why did you take us out of slavery, and why did you bring us out in the wilderness? And he's like, oh, you were there for 400 years. I thought it'd be good, right? <laughs> and so they're grumbling against the Lord, and all of a sudden, a plague begins to hit the people. And here's what it says in his word in number 16. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it. Now, anytime you read the word incense, it's a representation as well as prayers. So it says that our prayers are like incense to the Lord. So when they would go in, they would carry incense. It's the prayers of the people. You could call it the intercession of the people. So Moses says, get your scepter, right? Get your censer and put incense. Bring the intercession in it along with fire from the altar. Well, why fire from the altar? Because fire from the altar consumes the sacrifice, so he's telling him, take your sacrifice and take your intercession. Now look what he tells him to do. Take your fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Now I kind of find this funny, right? A plague is hitting, a plague is hitting, and Moses tells Aaron to go into the plague. Hey, you go do that, right? That's kind of funny to me. He says, but take your, because at that time, Aaron's the priest. So he says, take your, take your sacrifice, take your intercession, and go into the midst of the people. Now look what it says. Wrath has come out from the Lord and the plague has started. People are falling dead right now. The plague is hitting hard and people are dying in this assembly. 
So Aaron did as Moses said. He ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. And Aaron offered the incense, intercession, and made atonement, the sacrifice for them. Look what happens when you walk in your priestly role. Look what happens. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague what? You and I, when we live in the role that God has given us and we take that on and we stand between the living and the dead as a royal priesthood, the plague stops. Jesus is going to do that for us. Jesus is going to stand between the living and the dead. We were dead. This is what scripture says. He says that we were, in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead to your, dead in the trespasses and your sins in which you once walked. There was a time where Romans says the wages of sin is death. We were dead. Jesus stands in the gap between the living God and our deadness and he unites us so that we can live in him amen Jesus is the great intercessor in the same way that Aaron did it here and now you and I you and I get to stand between the living and the dead as ministers of reconciliation through intercession we get to see dead hearts dead minds dead marriages dead families dead dreams we get to stand in that gap and watch the living God come in and breathe new life to them God, God, I'm telling you right now, you got something dead in your life. You got that marriage is dead. We get to intercede as the royal priesthood and grab that dead marriage, that dead life, that dead mind, that dead mindset, whatever it is, and grab the hand of God and stand in the gap between the living and the dead and watch the living God breathe life into you again. It's beautiful. And this is the role that we play. This is why the royal priesthood is so important today and yet is so lacking today in the Christian church. Amen and amen. And so we have a world that is dead, dead in heart, dead in mind, dead in many ways. And we have a ministry of sacrifice and intercession. And so I believe that God is raising up. And the way that I see this when I read in scripture is he's raising up a Simeon generation. I've been studying in Luke, and I'm studying about this guy named Simeon. Some of you guys have maybe read about him. Some of you haven't. There's a gal named Anna. She's in the same category. Simeon and Anna love their story. I'm going to focus on Simeon today in Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, I just want to stir your hunger for intercession for a moment. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was, a, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. It said he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for Israel to get freedom for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah to come so that he would see the consolation, the freedom of Israel. And it said, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's a profound thing, by the way. Pentecost is yet to come, and the Holy Spirit sees a man named Simeon that he wants to dwell in. Because he sees a man who's dedicated to intercession, and he's like, that's a heart I can live in even before the Pentecost. I love it. He's like, I want to I hang with that guy. Before the Spirit's poured out, he's living in sin. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit. That's a whole nother deal. And he came in the Spirit in the temple. And when the parents brought, Jesus' parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Now I want to do some work on this for a minute. In this time, you have these people, you can read about Anna later, but Anna and Simeon, and sometime around their teenage years, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, sometime in their early years, Rome overtook Jerusalem. Rome overthrew Jerusalem. Rome overthrew the, 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 the Israelites, and Rome comes in and captures it. And at some point in time, while they were under this Roman occupation, the Holy Spirit puts a deep cry in Simeon's heart. So he's young, 
He's in his teens. Roman occupation comes. And some point in time, Holy Spirit puts something deep in this grown-in Simeon's heart to cry out for the consolation of Israel, for the freedom of Israel. To cry out that he would see the Messiah. So you got Simeon and Anna who made decisions in their younger years, in their teens or their 20s, that would last for 60 years because it wouldn't happen for another about 50, 60 years. Let me show you something from that. So much about intercession is teaching me to learn to wait on the Lord. Anyone like waiting in here? No, we're Americans. We're, we're Americans. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. We, we want it now, right? When it comes to prayer, man, think about your prayer life for a minute. You're, you'll start, you'll offer something to the Lord, and you'll say, Lord, I need an answer to this prayer. I would really like you to answer it now, but I'll give you till Monday, right? And he's like, <laughs> right? Whatever. And so we, we, we want, and then sometimes we'll go a week. Sometimes we'll go a week. Sometimes we'll even say, man, I'll pray for a month. Maybe if I'm super desperate, I'll pray for a year. But the longer that it takes, I get to usually two places in my life. Number one, I lose faith that God even hears me. So I stop praying. I lose faith that God even hears me. Or number two, I just simply go, you know what? I heard wrong. It's not your will. So two things happen in a season of waiting on the Lord and interceding, and that is either I lose faith and doubt sinks in, or, or number two, somewhere along the line, I just convince myself that, that, that what he said wasn't true, and I just missed it. Intercession tests our heart of waiting on the Lord to the promises that he's already given. In 2 Peter 3.11, he says, since all these things are about to be dissolved, he's talking about the end of all things. He's talking about the, the coming of the Lord. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So what are you supposed to be? What kind of people? Look what he says. Everybody say waiting. Waiting. And hastening. And hastening. That seems weird. How do you wait and how do you hasten? That means speed it up. That means get it quicker. The only way you wait and hasten is through the intercession of a prayer warrior. Because you're waiting on the Lord while you're hastening through intercession. I want you to see this for just a moment. We, we, we cry out to the Lord. This is what his word says. If, then, when. If you seek my face, then I'll hear, then I'll turn, I'll turn, you know, you, and you turn from your wicked ways, then I'll heal your land. We read this all the time in scripture about if we seek the Lord, he's going to answer. The problem is it says, when you seek me, you will find me with all your heart, or when you seek after me, I'll see you in about 20 years. <laughs> Right? I mean, this is the language of Scripture. Abraham, you're going to get a son in 20 years. <laughs> Noah, build a boat because rain's coming. Noah's like, I don't even know what rain is, right? And he goes, and I'll send rain in about 120 years. I mean, this is the language of Scripture. It's this language of will we wait on his promises or will we give up when we don't see it in our time frame? And so how we respond in times of waiting is critical. Will I get frustrated and move into a season of, of lacking faith, a season of unbelief? Will I move into a season of believing I just must, I didn't hear from the Lord. He, he, I must have heard wrongly from him. Or will we see the waiting as a divine invitation to press into something more? During the waiting, there is a time for us to become so desperate that we turn our desperation and frustration into hunger. Desperation and frustration can turn in to a place of hunger. Anybody ever been so frustrated? You're frustrated at work? You're frustrated in your family? 
You're frustrated in your marriage, and you're like, I'm so frustrated. I'm so hungry right now. i got to eat something, right? <laughs> it's like you, you've, got, you've got this season of frustration and this season of desperation that's actually turning into hunger. And here's the deal. The Lord says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what's the answer? They will be filled, or they will be satisfied. So this hunger that actually is building from frustration and desperation is actually filling us up and fueling us up for the prophetic promises of the Lord through the word. Listen, this is a big deal, church. Hunger, when it's rightly expressed, becomes a cry before the Lord, a form of intercession that calls for the fulfillment of God's promises. It's this hunger, it's the Simeon cry, I will keep praying until I see the promise that you've given me. And I'm just in my mind, I'm trying to get this, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always drawn to the spiritually hungry. That's why he rested on Simeon before Pentecost even came. He's, he's drawn towards the spiritually hungry, the desperate. And Simeon has this visitation. And I'm just in my mind, I'm like, this is what he's believing in his life. In verse 26, that the Holy Spirit told him he would not see death before he had seen the Lord, the Lord's Christ, before he had seen Jesus. He would not taste death before he would see the baby Jesus. And I can just picture day after day, Simeon's going into the temple for 50 years, and people are going, old man, what are you doing? You've come in here every day for 50 years. You're not seeing it. You missed it. In fact, people like that get called radical, do they not? People like that get called, oh, the weird one. If you said today, man, I feel like the Lord has told me I'm supposed to rest in here. I'm supposed to stay in here until he shows me or reveals something to me. We'd be like, well, hit the lights when you're done, right? Because we just think that's such a radical deal. But Simeon was hanging on to a promise that the Lord had given to him. People who make statements like that, we think they're crazy, but Simeon was hanging on to a promise that he believed the Lord had given to him. Let me just say this. Don't let people's opinions trump the call of the Lord in your life when you don't see it right away. Years are going to go on. I love how James Golfitz says, when God gives a promise, he almost always will take you through a process to get the promise and keep the promise. He will almost always take you through a process. Why? Because the process is actually doing something in us. If, 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 if you got everything, right, it says good things come to those who wait. And if you got everything just given to you, you got everything without going through a process, it would develop a sense of entitlement. If you, if you got everything just given to you, it wouldn't really birth anything because there was no process. But think about this. You worked your tail off when you were 16. You mowed a thousand yards. You did all of these things and you saved up the money to get that first car. What do you do with that first car? You're wiping that thing down with a diaper, right? For about a week and then you trash it. But you know what I'm talking about. Why? Because there's ownership in that now. Man, I worked my tail off. I'm going to take care of what I got. It wasn't just given to me. And so when the Lord puts you through the process to get the promise, it's more likely that you'll keep it then. And not trash it. And not disregard it. And not take it for granted. It's why preparation, before you get your promise, it's why preparation develops you to get your promise and helps you not to waste your promise. 
Because we're Americans. We've got Bibles in every home on every corner of our desks. We've got open air prayer meetings. We've got churches you can go to at any moment. You can go and preach the gospel right now without fear of anything else outside of maybe a few people not liking you. But you can do it without going to jail. We're, and here's the deal. How are we doing with that? We, we've got all these things, but because we've had things come so easy, we say it in our life, we've taken things for granted. And this is what happens when intercession catches that promise. Simeon's going, I heard it in my young 20s. I'm going to contend for it. He's in his 80s now as an old man, and he's contending for it, and he catches this. The Lord, he, he catches the promise. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Take me home now. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Church, I want you to hear, like he even caught revelation that the people, the Jewish people wouldn't even catch yet. And that was that Jesus, this child that he beheld, would not just be for the nation of Israel, but even for the Gentiles of the entire world. Man, this deep-seated revelation. Why? Because for 50 years he contended for the promises of God. Let me say, when we, when we talk about the sacrificial part, how many guys struggle with wanting your will? How many guys struggle with wanting? See, you won't even raise your hands because you got strong will right now inside of you. Like, I'm not going to raise my hand. You're not going to break my will, sucker, right? Like, like we contend. We contend with our, our will. And I was sharing this with our men's group. God has been doing a lot of work in, in, my, in my life and just like studying scripture going, Lord, why? Why do I want my will so badly? And I, I, I saw where one of the greatest moments of the humanity, divinity side came, comes together of our will is in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. You'll see it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is 100% man, right? Because it's going to take the blood of a man, perfect and sinless. He was without sin, perfect and sinless, to be spilt so that you and I can know life. Jesus is 100% a man, man, but he's also 100% God, right? So he's in the garden, he's on his face. This is hours before his arrest and then just hours before his crucifixion. And he's in the garden and he's crying out that famous prayer. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Now here's a problem. Jesus is using his humanity side. Father, if you're willing, and you, you got something else you want to do? I'm good, I'm in. That's that humanity side to him. He's crying out for that. But Jesus isn't, he's not dumb. He he knows the word. Why? Because he is the word. So he's got this divinity side rising up in him. He's 100% man, 100% God. And that divinity side is rising up in him. And he knows the truth of scripture. He knows Isaiah 53. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and though and through and though the Lord makes his life an offering of the sin for many. So he knows the scripture. He knows Isaiah 53 because he is Isaiah 53. And so he's, Father, if you're willing, here's my humanity, take this cup from me. And then he says the divinity side of it. Yet not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, you see this beautiful exchange. And Jesus is going, this is the sacrifice of a royal priesthood. Jesus is going, I've got to crucify one of those. Which one's it going to be? And what did he choose? He chose his humanity side. The atonement with his blood for our sins. Praise the Lord. 
Now, you and I, we all have our garden experiences. We're sitting in our gardens and we're crying out to the Lord. Lord, if you're willing, get me this. Lord, if you're willing, do this. Lord, if you're willing, do this. Lord, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I desire. Lord, this is what I does. And there's this humanity side rising up in us with our prayers. This is really what I want, so I'm going to pray this out to you. But then there's this divinity side in us as well. Why? Scripture says that we are partakers in the divine nature of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you've got a divine nature inside of you. Yes and amen. So now you have this humanity side of you and this divinity side of you. And the humanity side is rising up going, Lord, here is what I want. But then we offer up that divinity side and we say, but yet not my will your will be done, and now we have a choice. One of those is going to be crucified. Which one's it going to be? And this right here is where so many of us get stuck and why we don't advance as that royal priesthood because I really want to keep my will. Do I hear an amen? I really, and that surrender is life-changing. Let me just work through a couple more things. I want to show you what intercession does. Intercession takes our eyes off of self. It's ironic that Job's healing, that Job's healing and restoration didn't come when he prayed for himself, but when he prayed for his friends. L listen to Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored. What? After Job had prayed for his friends, he's like, Lord, I prayed for myself. He's like, I know you did. When you prayed for your friends, I restored you. After he prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Intercession, when you're praying for other people, can actually be your breakthrough as well. Listen, intercession is how we win the war. Do you guys remember the story of Joshua and Moses? And Joshua's down here fighting in this valley and contending. And Moses is up here on the mount. And we always do the whole arm bears, right? He's got Aaron and her. And we always focus our sermons on, hey, you need arm bears in your life. And yes and amen, you need arm bears in your life. And I love it. But there's more to that story. The story really is about how the, the Joshua's down fighting with man's swords. But really what's winning the war is the intercession up on the mountain. It's the royal priesthood who's winning the battle. It's the intercession that Moses is doing. It's the sacrifice. Here's my life, a living sacrifice unto you. I'm going to intercede. That's what's winning the battle, not the swords. And so every time Moses' arms came down from intercession, what happened to the battle in the valley? Can you imagine Joshua like, seriously, dude? Put your arms up, man. Good night. All right, here we go. Right? Like, can you imagine? Came up under his arm. Yeah, they, he, they had to help him because his arms were getting tired. Amen. So we need intercessors in our life. Thank you for that. Good. So Moses is contending in intercession, and the war is being won or lost by how he intercedes. By how he intercedes. The royal priesthood, the royal priesthood is where we win or lose wars through our intercession and our sacrifice. Intercession can help usher people out of a place of destruction and wickedness. Genesis 18. God is about to come on Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that? The problem is there's a man named Lot there with his family, and he's Abraham's nephew. And Abraham is like, Lord, I, 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 I want to come and intercede. Would you please, would you please not bring this destruction? Okay, find me ten righteous. Find me five. Couldn't find him. But as he interceded, the Lord said, I will save Lot and his family. Go now. Intercession can help People get out of a place of destruction and weakness. We see this throughout Scripture. And there's so much more I'd love to say on that. But I want, I want to get to this part, and I want to do something with all the men in the room. 
The greatest, the greatest factor in a life of intercession is having the right view of God. This is what's going to change it. What's your view of God? A right knowledge of God dismantles every scheme of the enemy. A right knowledge of God comes against the kingdom of darkness and breaks it apart. Why? Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. When we have a right understanding of God, it destroys the schemes of the enemy. Amen? So if that's true, then the other is true as well. The hindrance to intercession is a wrong view of God. The hindrance to your intercessory lifestyle and your royal priesthoodness is the wrong view of God. As long as we have a distorted view of God, I just don't think he likes me as much as... You know, he, he likes Ronnie. Just don't think he likes me as much as he's like Dave. If we have a wrong view of God, it's going to distort how we see the Lord. We will not operate in the fullness of our intercessory calling as a royal priesthood. And if he can distort your knowledge of God, you will not take your place as that royal priesthood. Here's why. The royal priesthood gets access into the Holy of Holies. The royal priesthood gets access before the throne of the Father. And if I have a wrong view of God, I'm not going into the Holy of Holies. Because if I have a wrong view of God, I don't see myself as royalty, which means I've got a sonship issue. And if I've got a wrong view of God, I definitely don't see myself as a priesthood because I've got shame hanging over my life going, you're, you're no priest. Wickedness maybe, but no priest. And so rather than boldly approaching the throne of God, or rather than boldly going into the Holy of Holies, I stay on the outside with the number one and number two ways that the enemy wars against my, my intercession, which is the word accusation and shame. Here's how he does it. Once he can get you to have a wrong view of God, he becomes the great accuser of the brethren. He accuses you, Scripture says, day and night. And accusation and shame are the two primary weapons that keeps you from becoming an intercessor and a royal priesthood. Because if you entertain his accusations, and if you entertain, if you entertain his shame, you will not want to boldly approach the throne of God. Because you don't see yourself as sons and daughters and the royalty, and you definitely don't see yourself as a priesthood. So I'm, I'm going I'm to do this. So I had this picture when I was preparing this, this, this week. I'm like, God, what do you want to do with men on Father's Day? This message just starts like, ah, roaring up my heart. And I had this picture of men standing up going, not on my watch. I'm done not being a royal priesthood. I've listened to shame and accusation. I've listened to all the reasons I'm no good at this and no good at that. I've listened to all the reasons. I've waited for other guys to take the lead because I just don't think it's me. I just don't think it's me. And you've waited. And I had this picture of guys going, I'm not waiting any longer to see if somebody else will be the intercessor. And I saw guys popping up all over the room, just boom, 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 all over the room. And all of a sudden, I saw this place right here, that this becomes the Holy of Holies. Out here is a place of accusation and shame, but up here becomes the Holy of Holies. And I saw men rising up, and everybody's going, what in the world is happening at 119th and Pawnee? There's a holy roar coming from the men. And they're going in, they're going in, they're going into their neighborhoods and their workplaces and their families, and everything is getting wrecked by the love of God. 
And then this is what I saw. All these men popping up. Boom, 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 boom. And this is, here's the problem though. This is a place right out here. The Lord showed me. There's accusation and shame out there. But in the holy of holies, this is where shame melts off and accusation disappears. And I saw men begin to make their way down here. So I'm asking all the men, every man in the house, will you come up? If you're a man in the house, I don't care what age you are. All the men in the house, come on up here. All the men in the house, make your way up here. Come on. I told the last service, I'm going to tell you, I grossly underestimated the candy bars. I apologize. Come up here. Don't, don't stand out there. That's the place. I just saw the Lord, like, get out of the place of accusation and shame. You don't think you have a place at the table. And he goes, you have a place at my table. Come on up here. Just squeeze in. Fall the way over. Squeeze in over here. It's okay. Squeeze in. Some of you guys, like, just can't. keep fanning out. We're good. Keep fanning out. Keep coming up here. From the youngest to the oldest. Ladies, is this beautiful? And this is what I saw. I saw that, that Romans 11:4, where God says, I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who will not bend their knee to Baal. They won't bend their knee to the knee to the world. They won't bend their knee to the things of this life, but they will become a royal priesthood. They will be intercessors and men who sacrifice their will for the will of God. They will become the men who contend for their families and their families' families. They will become men who contend for the society. They will come, become men who contend for their neighbors and their co-workers. They will become men who no longer live in the shadows, hiding in the Genesis 3 bushes. They will become the men who've been called out by the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. You're not hiding anymore. If you were hiding out there in your seats, well, you're not today. Everybody sees you, men. And everybody's warring for you and what God's going to do in your life. And so here's what I want you to do. Ladies, will you stand up? Ladies, will you extend a hand out? Guys, I want to drop like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. You're standing in the Holy of Holies today. Just We're believing this. And right now, if you've carried shame or accusation in your life, you've heard a whisper, you're not a good man. You're not a man that will ever measure up. If you've heard whispers against your identity, if you've heard whispers, you're, you're a husband and you've heard whispers, you're not a good husband. You've heard lies. You've been a terrible father. Even if you think, I have been a terrible father, God can redeem it in a second because he's a good father. If you had an imperfect father, you've got a perfect father in Christ, in the Lord. So if you've got accusation and shame that is warred on your heart, I want to give you 30 seconds to leave it right here in the Holy of Holies. I want you to let go of it. I want you to drop it. I want you to drop all the things that have been said over you. I want you to drop all the ways that you've tried to measure up to other men. I want you to drop all the ways that you've tried to hold yourself. Well, I'm not like him. He's better than me. I want you to drop all the competition in your life. And I want you to know when the Lord called you a royal priesthood, he meant it. And he meant that all of you, all of you are royal priesthood, not some of you. So it's time to drop the accusation. It's time to drop the excuses. It's time to drop the lies. And it's time to get the holy roar of Simeon inside of our life. There are promises and scriptures I'm going to contend for. I'm not going to let go of them. Take a minute. Drop those. We're warring for you. Drop those. And now, Heavenly Father, I'm praying over these men of God as we have in every service, I'm asking would you activate these men's hearts that they would come into the first and foremost identity that they are sons and not just servants. 
that they are sons. You said that we've been called in through sonship, and I'm praying for these sons of God. That's how scripture looks at us. We've been adopted in through sonship, that they don't see themselves on the outside, they are on the inside. They don't see themselves on the outside of the temple of the Lord, but on the inside. They don't see themselves on the outside of the Holy of Holies, but on the inside. When you said it is finished and you cleanse them, you cleanse them from that time and forevermore. And so God, I pray as they come into their sonship role, they would then come into their priestly role, that they would be men that sacrifice their will for the will of God. Men that say, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired of living for myself and I'm ready to start living for the Lord. I pray that they would be men who are intercessors, that they would find their greatest weapon isn't a sword in their hand. Their greatest weapon is their knees on their legs when they drop down and they begin to intercede for the will of God. I pray, Father, that these men would see they are three, four, five, six layers deep and a mile wide. They are not alone. Where the enemy has tried to isolate them and hide them. Hide them. That's what Genesis 3 said. They were hiding and the Lord said, where are you? Bring them out of their hiding today, Lord. Do not let them dwell in isolation. Let them see the brotherhood that's here. And I pray that Father's Day 2023 would be an activation of the kingdom of God that would break the gates of hell, storm the gates of hell, plunder the gates of hell, and take back everything the enemy has tried to take from us. And I pray that this warfare right here would change, affect, transform Wichita, Kansas, surrounding areas, all of the towns we're from would spill out into all the other states as well. God, we believe it starts. We've got to get a heart right here. It starts right here. Guard these men's hearts. Protect what has been planted inside of them on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.